There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry, those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to the show, folks. It is time for another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. A guest for this episode is Tori Mertz, the founder of... Rocket Referrals slash Client Circle, and we'll get into some of the nuance of the double name here uh, in a little bit. Tori, thanks for giving us some of your valuable time, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting. It's going to be good. You know, this conversation happens like so many things where I come across an interesting person who's doing cool things, and I just say, hey, want to be on the show and talk about yourself and what you do and what your company's up to? And thankfully... The powers that be at Client Circle said, sure, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. And here we are. Here we are. So let's start with you. Let You are founder, co-founder, what, whatever that story is you're, you're about to tell us, and I can't wait because full transparency, Freedom Jumpers, I don't know anything more than you. Tori and I have spoken very, very briefly before this, had a few emails back and forth, but that's it. Yep. I love it that way because yeah. I get to learn right along with the audience in real time and it's just more organic that way. Mm -hmm. So let me hand you the mic, my friend. You kick us off. What is uh, the Tory story? Uh, catch us up to where you are in this chapter of life, man. Man, I think that at the end of the day, you could really sum me up as just entrepreneurial spirit, man. Like I can't stop you know, we were talking a little bit before, I can't stop tinkering with things, you know, really solving problems and things like that. So, um, and I have been that way ever since a kid, man. Like I am always trying to, I, I remember one time when I was eight, I went and found geodes. Now I think I could probably go to jail for doing this now, but because I was a kid, it was okay. But I broke up geodes and I went around selling them as diamonds to my neighbors. <laughs> you know, actually <laughs> I got some sales out of it. I didn't know what I was doing was wow. fraud, but you know, it was just, I've always have been someone who wanted to have a business and because I love doing it. It's not about becoming a billionaire or anything like that. I just love doing this thing, man. It's, I'm happy. I'm a happy guy because of it. Awesome. And I'm a kindred spirit there, man. I love that. Now the entrepreneurial juice never stops flowing. Does yeah. It? So anyway, long story short, I get to, you know, I have a lot of experience in the corporate world and mm -hmm. I kind of 
have spent a lot of time working for big insurance, you know, companies and, and things like Don't that. Don't click that. But before we move past it, yeah. what does that mean? A lot of experience in the corporate world. Give some flavor there. So right out of college, right, I went to work for a big insurance company. And what I did was I worked on user experience. You know, the idea was to help build better designs than use human computer interaction to create things that would convert basically you know we're talking about changing the button colors and optimizing all kinds of stuff but what the corporate world experience what i'm really trying to talk about there is all of the entrepreneurials they might think of, oh corporate world there's a lot of bureaucracy there's a lot of red tape there's a lot of you know this and projects that last forever and things like that and we can't move quick enough and things and i felt that and eventually I said, I think that I can do greater things. I can, you know, actually move faster. I can do some of the things if I uh, started my own company, right? So I would try and start different companies. For example, I actually started another company. It was called Spark Night. <laughs> the idea with Spark Night was you would send a couple on a surprise date. You would pay for the service. I'd have people that designed really awesome dates. And then we'd send you out on surprise dates. Like neither of you knew what was going to happen during the evening. It was awesome. It was just a hard thing to that make money amazing. at. sounds amazing. Right? <laughs> just a hard thing to make money at. So I would try all of these things. And at the time, I was still working, you know, for corporate America. And my brother, Carl, was in the army. He was overseas. He was in Afghanistan. And I would stay in touch with him. And I would talk about some of the things that, you know, I wanted to do. And we said hey, why don't we start a company together? And he's like, okay, let's, let's do it. But we went about it a little bit differently because I learned in all of those prior experiences and all of those other companies that I had a great idea, sounds awesome. But then when I went to sell it, it was really, you know, it just kind of fell flat. You know, it was really hard to do. So we thought, hey, why don't we sell something first? And then if we can get sales, we build it, <laughs> you know? So we started by picking an industry. I had a lot of connections kind of in the insurance world and things. So we said, hey, let's go talk to people. So I called up, I don't know, 30 or 40 independent insurance agents. And I talked to them on the phone. I visited many of them in their offices. And I asked them hard questions like, how do you generate new business? And where does it come from? And tell me about your tech stack. And you know, what kind of tech issues do you have? You know, I would spend hours with these people. And yeah. what I found is that a lot of them had built up an awesome business through customer service and, you know, being out in their community and building great relationships with people, but they didn't have the tech or really the systems in place to really benefit from that, right? They didn't they couldn't take their customer base and everything they knew about their customers, if they were even tracking it, and use that to generate more word of mouth referrals. And that's where the rocket referrals came from. We said, hey, we can take this data and we have some really cool algorithms that we've perfected over the you know years and find people that are likely to recommend and target them with things like testimonial requests or review requests and cards that generate referrals and things like that. And so that's really what we build our business on. But Anyway, long story short, we went back to some of these people and we said, hey, why don't you, uh, that we were interviewing and we said, hey, why don't you do these 13 things and you're going to get more referrals? And they said, hey, sign me up. And we were like, hey, we got to build it first. So 
We actually built the platform. Um, I coded it myself and, you know, I was working 18 hour days for like three months and, you know, you're sweating. Wow. I'm like in the insurance agency office when we're getting ready to turn it on and I'm sweating because this thing is do what it, it's going to do. And sure enough, we send out communications, surveys, and you see the smiles of people in the office and we're like, okay, we got something here. This is going to be awesome, you know? And ever since then, man, I feel like it's just been go, go, go. We're constantly building new things, solving new problems and building new features. And that's why we're now Client Circle because we've built so many things over the years that it's not just about referrals. It's not just about word of mouth. It's everything related to you know clients and your relationship with them to sell more and you know make happier clients so it's been a wild ride man love that before i reflect on the beautiful pile of stuff that you gave me to work <laughs> with as a podcast host there you want to provide some clarity on the whole rebrand the yeah. thing from rocket referrals to client circle yeah. so the whole company is changing name to client circle is it a product rollout is it or refresh of some kind, like help people make sense of the name change and is the name Rocket Referrals being retired in a gradual way over time? Yep. What's going on there? Over time, we're, you know, you probably won't see Rocket Referrals anymore. But, you know, we want to make sure that existing customers know that we're still the same company uh, because a lot of times, especially in this industry, you'll see acquisitions happen, people change names, change companies, things like that. We didn't want people to think, oh, okay, another great company got acquired and now they're going to go to crap. <laughs> you know, we didn't want that, that yeah. feeling. We are the same company run by the same people. It's just we have a new name that better reflects, you know, all of the things that uh, we're doing and what we plan to do. So um, over time, you'll see us drop rocket referrals. It's kind of there as a transition. Um, yeah. But kind of like when an agency gets acquired and goes through the rebrand process and I'm not saying you guys got right, acquired, but right. from a naming perspective, yep. you know, there's definitely two or three stages of that transition to the new name. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, probably the, something like rocket referrals powered by client circle or something like yeah, that. Yeah. In fact, if, uh, I think we might still have it on our client circle land page. It says client circle by rocket referrals right now. And, um, mm, that's kind of the way around. Got yeah. It. That's kind of the idea. We wanted to lead with a new name, but yeah. You know, I, I think over time we'll drop it, but also it's a hard thing to do, man. You work for many years building up a personal connection to this brand and people, people yeah. used to call my, my brother and I, the rocket men, you know, like that's what, what they would yeah. call us. So we're dropping rocket. And another reason that we wanted to drop rocket is because we didn't want to have a connection with like rocket mortgage and other rocket companies we wanted mm -hmm. to make sure there that's wasn't a connection there. So. Rocket Mortgage is a two-edged sword. It's extremely well-known, but a lot of people have challenges exactly. with that. Exactly. Yep. And that's a completely different industry. Yep. And, you know, the interesting thing, we actually trademarked Rocket Referrals before they had a trademark. So, thankfully, because now they're really going after that. So, anyway, that's a mm. completely different reason, but it yeah. is definitely That's a whole different it. episode right there, brother. Yep. Now, my first encounter with Rocket Referrals was at IAOA in San Diego, mm -hmm. literally like six weeks before COVID blew up and set the world on fire. Yeah. And I spent probably 45 minutes at the booth in the trade show area. And at that time, the big thing was handwritten cards and NPS surveys. Yep. And it's like, looking back on it now, it makes sense why I didn't sign up because... At the time, it was pr pretty expensive. I was still 
very, very early. I was less than a year into operating and we were still, we only had two staff members at the time. Mm -hmm. We have seven now, but I didn't awesome. sign up because I didn't really see the, the, the value wasn't there at that time for that life cycle of where we are. That being said, my man, y'all have really stepped it up. You know, the current iteration of things is, to use a term that Addie on my team, I don't think I've ever heard her say this about any of the vendors. We have a thick tech stack. We spend a lot of coin on tech, unfortunately. She said in an email to Matthew Smith on your team, I'm obsessed. This stuff is amazing. And I'm wow. like, I don't remember Addie saying she's <laughs> obsessed with any tech that we've wow, ever had. That's, that is really a awesome compliment thank you very it, much it really is and i say that as an office that has been through better agency and agency zoom and active campaign and others we we did the automate 365 thing which is a white labeled product from now certs none of them really fit our agency we're a weird shop man full disclosure i'm an investor in better agency very close with will and nick and the team over there i think they're great the product isn't the best fit for risk well because we do so much stuff that's outside of the norm uh, we don't really we don't play the same game most people play we do a lot of ens stuff a lot we're 100 commercial shop we we're the problem it's not better agency or agency zoom or anybody else we demoed insured mine never went with them the interesting thing is for the longest time the crm game in the insurance world was a three horse race you had those those three and that was really it. You had some other players from outside the industry, your pipe drive, your active campaign, your various iterations of Infusionsoft and Salesforce Lite or whatever. But specific to insurance, there was really only those three, Better Agency, Agency Zoom, and Insured Mine. And now in just the last, I don't know, six, eight months, whatever, you guys have come on crazy strong. Where That's awesome. If someone's in the insurance world, and hear me on this Freedom Jumpers, I don't get a penny from Tori or the team at Client Circle, but man, really impressed with the product and, and the more we talk to your team we're impressed with the team behind the product which i'm all about because obviously so many companies are started by tech guys and gals well, let's be you know gender neutral here uh, tech people but they don't necessarily know insurance and then the flip side if you have insurance people that try to start a insure tech of some kind doesn't always work great because their tech may not be that great. They may have the insurance part nailed, but their tech isn't slick. I've seen both. I've seen great insurance understanding, but also really, really slick tech that Thank works you. beautifully. I mean, Thank the whole you. journeys thing that you guys turned on, mm -hmm. and I know I'm word vomiting all over you, so I'm <laughs> sorry. A little bit of stream of consciousness here. The journeys feature set demands attention by itself because that is what I feel like puts you guys in the same category as any other CRM because you have pipeline management. You have all the contact data resources right there on a visual pipeline. So you're directly competing with all those other companies that I just listed out as a true insurance CRM. Thank you, man. That's an awesome compliment to just to hear what your team is saying and what you recognize. I think that from our perspective, we, and I tell this to my team all the time, and maybe this is a really terrible thing for a CEO to do, but I don't pay attention to what other companies are doing. I really am trying to like put those blinders on and I focus on our customers, you know, mm -hmm. talk to people like you and what they need. 
and try and come up with new and different solutions, right? I don't want to look at what other people are doing because I don't want to influence direction. I want to create something different because that's truly what an alternative is, right? Like that's how something works for one weird agency. I'm also a weird guy, by the way. But if we have other weird agents like that's you don't want to have a choice of three or four of the same thing, right? There needs to be differences. And that's what we're really trying to do is to be different. We're not trying to be better. We're not trying to be the same, only more efficient or the same, only cheaper. We're just trying to be different. And that's the goal that, that we're trying to do. When I look at the differentiators of client circle in the marketplace, the two most obvious ones are, of course, what y'all started with is the cards and the NPS surveys. Yep. And the fact that the other features like Journey and the other traditional CRM style of features have come along later on in the development curve is, I think, really interesting because so many other companies start with the bread and butter CRM features and then develop the candy afterwards. And be yep. like, oh, by the way, we have this cool new feature. Yep. And you guys are like, hey, we started with two features that weren't available elsewhere in the insurance industry. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are in adjacent industries too. You're not just an insurance company. We're like 90, 99.9% insurance, man. Yeah. Are you kidding? Wow. Yeah. I had we, no idea. We literally trademarked the term made for insurance. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. Yep. The NPS scores being baked in and the handwritten by a robot, but still handwritten, it is slick. I couldn't tell if you just handed me that card. I don't, it doesn't look like a robot wrote it. It, it has variations and in inflection. I don't know who designed the robot. You want a fun, I'll tell you, you want to know a fun story about that? Can you tell? St- I'd oh, love yeah. a fun story, oh, man. Yeah. This is a podcast. Story away. Okay. All right. So Carl and I are are starting to build this. We're in that like 18 hour a day, 13 or three month, you know, time period when we're developing stuff. And I was looking for a service that could do the handwritten cards. And we looked at all the services that are out there and I ordered samples and I sent all of those samples to me. And because my name is Tori T and then a lowercase O should be tucked underneath that T man. Like when I get those cards from other people, other services, I look at it and it just did not look great. And so I thought, well, let's make our own. So the system that you are using with Client Circle now to send cards is one that I invented almost 10 years ago. And now it's grown to a fact where I have relationships with paper vendors that literally make the paper out of pulp for us make the envelopes because they're perfectly designed to work with those with our handwriting tech. I have people that custom make the size of the cards, everything. So now I did not go into this, you know, business thinking, okay, we're going to be a tech company and we're also going to be a mailing company. But that's what we did because I couldn't find anybody who did it, you know, good enough to offer it to our customers. And just to be clear for starters, for someone who's skeptical and goes, well, James and Tori, I don't use services like that because I don't want a robot sending my clients something. Are you able to send some sort of sample or demo of, hey, check out this card. This is what we're sending to your client. 100%. You know, and to that fact, we tell people a lot that we're not trying to trick people into thinking that you did it. 
But what yeah. we are doing is we're sending someone a message that is more heartfelt and more human feeling. And yeah. it's not about tricking somebody or getting them to think that you, you know, spent the time to write it. It's about the fact that you spent the time to send them that thing, you know? Yeah. And I've had, it, go ahead. No, sorry. I was going to just say for me, I, and I agree, it's not about tricking anyone. It's about removing the friction in the relationship because there's nothing worse than getting one of those poorly executed cards yeah. where they're trying to make it look like it was a real person. Right. But it's it's stamped, and you can tell that it's just like a laser jet printer that yep. had a little bit of a different font. But yep. when you get the and we have used a, a vendor called Handwritten, where it's like a Y in the word yeah. Handwritten, and mm -hmm. their product is good. Yeah. And what attracted and you guys have indistinguishable product. Like you're you're a lot more than a, obviously a card company, of course. But what I love about it is it's real ink. Right. It's a real pen. It's not a stamp. It's not a, an inkjet printer or a laser jet or whatever. Unless you're really paying attention right. and, and you look at a bunch of cards, you can't tell that it was written by a robot. And that, to me, is the whole reason. Like, when I get a card that looks handwritten, it immediately has more impact. Yep. Because I'm not even thinking in my brain, hey, did a person write this? Because there's no reason, like, from our visual, like, stimulus and cues in our brain, there's nothing in it that goes, hey, wait a second. This looks like it was written by a robot. Right. Because it doesn't look like it was written by a robot. So there's nothing in the physiology that makes someone go, hey, wait a second. Right. They just read it as if it's a handwritten card. Who cares if a human wrote it with the pen? A robot was holding the pen, but the person receiving that card literally can't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. It's it's magical. Yeah. I think that we've talked about offering this service out to car dealers because Man, like those are really bad ones. <laughs> you know, that you get the, <laughs> you're, like, you're not wrong. You know, like oh man. But we don't. Honestly, we don't. We're kind of protective over this technology because we don't want it to fall into the hands of the wrong kind of place, and then it waters everything down. You know what I mean? And like, then it becomes manipulative. Exactly. We don't. We don't want it to become something that people start to ignore. You know. Hmm. So what I think is really interesting is that those features, the NPS scores, uh, which for those of you that aren't familiar, I'm sorry, it's Net Promoter Score. It's literally a one-question survey. How likely are you to recommend us to your colleagues and friends and family on a one to 10? And there's like zero and one is really bad, nine and 10 is really good, and everything between two and eight is some grade of eh. eh. And then yep. various things can be triggered inside of that Net Promoter Score survey. but I mean, outside of the industry, everybody uses this stuff. Yep. And it's 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 kind of a benchmark of sorts. Here's another but story for you. Um, with NPS, again, we're in this sort of build phase, and we knew we needed to have some way to train our algorithm, right? That thinking of AI, by the way, we were doing this AI thing 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, this is mm. like how far it's been. We didn't say AI back then because nobody knew or cared about it. You know what I mean? So... Anyway, we needed some way to train this algorithm to you know, find the people that are likely to recommend and not. And so I built my own sort of survey system. And then Carl read this book from Fred Reicheld. And now we're officially licensed NPS providers. But we switched to that very quick, very quickly after we learned about it in that dev stage. And I'm glad we did because now we have an industry standard kind of way to do it. And we really did bring that to the insurance industry. I think that 
I should say the independent insurance industry, because before that, not a lot of people were using it. And now I think a lot of people are building that into their products. So um, it's a really mm. good thing for the industry to, to have that. So you can take these two little bits of candy and the handwritten cards and the NPS scores and, and drop them right into your traditional CRM, sales pipeline management, automated marketing cues that a bunch of companies have. But you guys have added some additional flavor to what your your customers are able to leverage, right? Yep. Yeah. I think, you know, like our journeys product, I think is really cool because it is goal based. Um, and uh, it's a little bit different than other things that are out there where instead of manually moving people from stage to stage, we want you to think about what's the goal of this journey. Like what's the thing that you're trying to do? Um, is it to get a cross sell or an upsell or is it to sell this prospect? And as soon as that goal is met, they're kind of automatically set as a goal. But then along the, the way, you have stages that can kind of have goals. What's the goal of this stage? Well, the goal of this stage is to get a quote. Once they get a quote, they'll move to the next stage, right? And then start that stuff. Maybe the goal of this one is to fill out a form. Once we know they fill out a form, it's going to move on to the next stage. So you can really think about a journey as a way of what's the purpose for this stage of the journey? And then what's the overall goal? Because I think that putting those goals in place kind of helps you, A, track data. You'll be able to say, hey, I'm actually meeting my goal or I'm not meeting my goal and things like that. So, um, And then to be able to look into the data and say, hey, this thing is true now. So boop, pop it out of the journey is really important. Mm. No, so you're speaking my language, man. I'm a process guy through and through. And at the end of the day, the client experience is the single most important factor. Amen. Hands down. Yep. Because, I mean, at the uh, back, I used to be a farmer's agent back in the day. And Roy Smith was our number, he was the number two at the whole company. Uh, he was the, the head of distribution and basically the, the heir apparent to the CEO before he decided to leave and do something else. I have no idea where he is now, but. His his most famous phrase is nothing happens until an agent sells a policy. The entire operation at Farmers was predicated on the act of an agent selling a policy and everything hinged on that. And I think as an independent agent, I have a different perspective, of course, as you can imagine. But my version of that is nothing happens until a client has a great experience. Yep. Absolutely nothing that we both are working towards can happen. No revenue is generated. No renewal is even made possible unless a client has a great experience. Yep. Unless it starts with a lead, of course, and then suspect, and then prospect, and then client, and then advocate, and you know, unofficial brand ambassador, yep. of course. Yep. But if they don't have a great experience, literally nothing else matters. Nothing else matters, and they're going to go somewhere else. You know, it's funny that you say that because if you go to our website and you look at our tagline now, we thought about our new tagline when we rebranded for months. And we finally came up with something that's just happier clients, more sales. And that's what we're all about, helping your clients become happier Love. and help you generate more sales. Like, that's that's what it is. So Love it. Trying to do it, everything It's so can. silly. in. in in our office, I, I use the phrase, everybody's in sales. Every single person at this office is in sales. You're either selling a policy or you're selling the next renewal. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's it. Yep. The CSR people, the, the account executives, the, the inside folks, they don't think of themselves as in sales. 
But they are. They are. Because every every good service experience is a sale that leads to the next renewal. Yep. 100% agree with that. Mm, man. What's on your mind? Anything you want to talk about, about Client Circle that we haven't hit on yet? Anything else? Any um, big nuggets you want to drop before we move on and talk some shop? Yeah, you know, I'm just really, as a CEO of the company and as, as somebody who's in the industry, I think for our company, I've never been more excited. I have a lot of really cool things planned for the future. We have website release coming out and we have some really neat things that we're adding on to that. You know, again, thought, hey, how are we going to do this differently than someone else, right? So instead of thinking about bolting on a website company that already existed, we thought, how would we make this really work with, you know, our journeys product and things like that. And so I'm super excited for that release to come out and we have even more fun things planned. And I don't know, man, I'm just really enjoying what I'm doing. I'm so thankful to everybody out there that you know, has podcasts like this to talk about and to share not just what we're doing, but to kind of keep the industry moving forward. It's never been a greater time. I know there's a lot of challenges coming for agents and for software companies and people, you know, but I've never been more positive and super excited for the future right now. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who is it, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. I definitely share that excitement. I think these challenges are great because, not to sound like a Marine, but all of these challenges are are hardening us the pain is simply weakness leaving the body as they say there you go yep those that remain after this very difficult hard market cycle with the macroeconomic challenges that are plaguing not just our industry but the entire u.s economy and even global economy uh, to a larger extent whoever's left over after this is much stronger Mm -hmm. and, and ready to achieve even greater heights I don't know how you feel about it. I certainly don't want to assume anything. The barrier to entry in our industry is alarmingly low. Uh, there are literally thousands, perhaps even tens of thousands of people that are licensed insurance professionals that are very, very poor at their job, that are just kind of muddling along, doing their thing, and making the rest of us look bad. <laughs> and I'm totally okay with some people yep. washing out of the industry because mm-hmm. they go, man, this crap is hard. I don't, yeah. I don't know if I can keep doing this. My paycheck is really small. And I'm like, good, go away. Find yourself somewhere else to hide. <laughs> like go, go, go suck in a different industry. Stop mm-hmm. making the rest of us look bad by being a mediocre player. That's just good enough to not get fired, Yep. but isn't actually doing anything good for their clients or the industry at large. And I know that's a harsh thing to say. And I sound like an egotistical jackass to some people, 
Whereas other people are like, yeah, amen, preach. Because yep. we all know that agent yep. that's just subpar, but they're still here after years and years and years, and they're just, you know, puttering along, selling 50000 in premium a month, and they haven't left, they haven't been fired by their carrier, and their clients still renew, so they must be doing at least adequately good. And I don't know where I was going with that when I'm talking to an InsurTech CEO. Well, but one thing that I tell people, you know, on my team or, you know, when Carl and I are in a room and we're just bitching out, you know, just the world because things are difficult and we're stressed and we're working hard. I say, hey, it's a good thing that these are hard, you know, that this is hard, right? Because yeah. If it weren't hard, then everybody would be doing it. Like we look mm -hmm. for the hard problems. We look for the things that are difficult to do because we know that yep. not everybody's going to be able to do it or even wants to go through that pain. So uh, you're right. So that's what we're always looking for the hard problems to solve because that's where the value is. Well, and I feel a little bit more free to say things that might be seen as controversial or maybe even a little bit harsh on this podcast because. I'm preaching to the choir because I know that the people that are listening to this podcast most likely aren't in that group That's because right, let's not. be honest, man. Yeah. The people that I'm referring to, they don't listen no, to podcasts. No, they're not going to They don't the read books. They don't go to conferences. If I've ever met you at a conference, I'm not talking about you because you <laughs> went to a conference looking to better yourself. Yep. Like I'm talking about the people that don't do anything right. to better themselves. They don't yep. care about getting on with client circle they're not willing to spend an extra hundred dollars a month to create a better client experience because you know ryan hanley likes to use the term lifestyle agency versus a growth focused agency and that's most of what i'm talking about they don't grow they don't care to grow they make their hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year they live a life that is you know nice enough to meet their expectations for their life but they're not trying to do anything they're not trying to grow it's not the lifestyle so I, say, I want right <laughs> i hesitate to to say what I said without clarifying, I was like, I'm not talking about any of you. Yep. You're listening right now. That's right. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person down the street from your office that makes you look bad because they never called back the client who filed a claim. They never checked back about the claim. And now the client's mad. They go out to the market looking for a new agent because they feel abandoned and neglected. They call your office pissed off because of something that somebody else in your town did. I'm talking about that other agent. <laughs> so get this, man. When we're interviewing people and we talk to potential employees and they ask about you know what industry we're in and we say, well, we primarily work with insurance agents, um, a lot of them will say, oh, I had a really bad experience with so-and-so. And you know what we say is, we don't work with those agents. <laughs> Trust me, mm. they're not using our product because they don't, they don't care. The cool yeah. thing is the people that we work with, like you said, are the people that really care. They're like, yeah. it's, that's what makes the job fun and rewarding because when we build a new feature that helps somebody, they're like, oh my God, this helped us X, you know, by doing this. And, you know, yeah. we, we love that feeling like that, that feels really good. So. Well, and I hesitate to say stuff that changes over time. We never really talk about pricing on this podcast because these episodes live in perpetuity and yeah. prices change over time. That's just the reality of sorts. And I don't mind saying it. it you guys are in a completely different bracket than a, an entry-level product like a pipe drive, which is mm -hmm. extremely accessible for a, a solopreneur or someone who's in a startup phase. You guys are multiples more expensive than pipe drive. Mm -hmm. but the value of the platform is order of magnitude 
bigger than whatever pipe drive has. I think to your point, the people that are going to get on with client circle are picking client circle because of the value, not because it's the cheap option. That's right. They're picking it because of the quality. Yep. And the thing is, what you're really paying for is that insurance focus, right? When you go and create an automation in our platform or do a pre-built journey, you're going to see insurance focused things, right? You're not going to be able to go into PipeDrive and say, hey, I want to add a cross-sell campaign for a home and auto insurance. <laughs> you know, it's not going to exist. You're going to yeah. have to build that. And then are you going to build it right? You know, and what's the value of you messing that up? You know, or that if you are in PipeDrive and you're trying to do it, like, why not spend your time, you know, pay us rather than a marketing person, you know, or something like that. So now are you guys receiving requests and suggestions for these pre-built automations of, Hey, it'd be really cool if you guys built X uh, from your client base. Yeah. Yeah. We're always taking requests like that and we'll add more, you know? So when you see a, when you see a journey in there or an automation or anything, we've done some testing, some evaluation. We make sure it's going to work the platform. Sometimes you need to tweak it to work for your management system. If, or if you're tracking data a little bit differently, you might need to tweak some things. But for the most part, we want it to kind of work out of the box for you. So you don't need to do much, you know? Nice. Who is on the team? Is it you know, someone who is like a formally trained a writer or a professional marketer or whatever, mm-hmm. um, who's building these templates? Because I always find it interesting, the nuance of these pre-built templates. Yeah. We, always, we always end up changing stuff yeah. across the board. Uh, so it sounds like our voice. Um, but Yeah, we have a really awesome team that, you know, if you look at our website, we did everything internally, right? We did all the design, we did all the copywriting, everything. We have an awesome director of brand and communications, Yana. She's amazing at mm-hmm. writing great content. And we also have awesome account managers that are listening to what's working and what's not working with uh, agents. And we'll take that feedback and bring that, put that into the system and rewrite things. We'll look at open rates and click tracking of things. We'll see what works and we'll tweak it, man. We are definitely uh, people who, who like to adjust the dials and find kind of the perfect thing. So you're, you're tinkerers. It sounds like we are tinkerers for sure. And and data driven, which (laughs) I love. Yep. There's nothing worse than an assumption based on speculation or subjective opinion. That's not, you know, grounded in any sort of factual data. Yep. You know, we've seen, for example, chat GPT be used a lot out there right now. And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people are saying, hey, let's just use chat GPT to write things. And we have seen that it's not quite as effective as at least, you know, if you're going to use that, have a human who knows what they're doing also review it and, you know, kind of fix things (laughs) that aren't quite right or that, uh, you know, kind of makes sense. So one thing that we've done recently, actually, with our website's product, we um, are including something called Circle AI. And Circle AI is um, sort of fine-tuned models and extra things of our algorithm that are baked onto what OpenAI can do. So we're taking that sort of to the next level. Because like I said, we've been Hmm. doing AI for the last 10 years. So we have a lot of things that we can kind of tweak and adjust. And then we take those and we have a human team go in and actually, you know, uh, make it better if we're using ChatGPT in the first place. So it's hmm. ChatGPT is going to change the world, man. Not just ChatGPT, but large language models in general. It's going to be crazy what's coming down the road, man. So uh, I, really I can't let uh, let the conversation go here 
without having the conversation about AI. I read a very interesting article. I'm trying to I'm trying to find it here, where it's basically saying that we need to turn off AI right now. That if we ever if we get to GPT fifth generation, mm-hmm. that basically we're we're tinkering with our own demise because at a certain point, and I forget what the term is, where a a non-human entity achieves sentience and self-awareness. You know, the, the Terminator type stuff, yep. Sky, Skynet or whatever. Yep. What's your take on that? Are we tinkering with our own demise, something like the Matrix where the machines realize that they don't need us anymore, so they enslave all of humanity, turn us into Duracell batteries? What, I, I don't, I don't what, so. what does the future look like? Um, I, I mean, I'm a technologist, right? So I uh, love to tinker with these things, and I know sort of the back end of how they all actually work, you know? And if you were Elon Musk or one of these companies that also has a huge investment in AI and need to be advanced in AI to make your company successful, like auto-driving cars and other things, wouldn't you benefit from saying, hey, why don't we hold on here? Let's not advance AI for a while until I catch up. And I think maybe there might be something like that to this where people are feeling threatened because there's a tremendous amount of value in AI and what it can do. And they honestly need to catch up. But I'm not saying that's what's happening, but I think that could be part of it. And I think the the true value of AI isn't going to be how good the AI is. It's about how people use it that really matters. How is it truly going to be incorporated in product? And how are you going to find new ways to use it that you know people haven't thought about before? And I do think that overall it will be a good thing. I really believe that. I, I don't see us you know, getting into the Matrix or Terminator kind of thing for a while, if ever. So I'm really excited about AI. I think that what we can do with it, like I said, we've been doing it for 10 years. And I have never been more excited about what we can do in the product than I have been over the last few months. So I think my take on the subject is definitely evolving over time. Um, when I research this, cause I, I don't know if I get to call myself a technologist quite like you are, cause I've never coded anything beyond <laughs> HTML and CSS for a website. Um, I've never gotten into any actual programming languages. When I look at ChatGPT and similar, you know, machine learning, RPA, robotic process automation or whatever, it seems that these robots are very good at objective things like who, what, where, when. They're very, very bad at subjective things and nuance that comes with humanity. Right. Detecting context and inference rather than explicitly stated things, understanding sarcasm and humor and other nuances of communication that really require context, require an understanding of unwritten rules and social dynamics and whatnot that don't really translate to objective fact. Yep. That to me is a gap that you may be able to program something so that it sounds human because it's listened to billions of words of spoken communication. You know, a lot of people think about the ethical challenges or the moral challenges of deep fakes for video or, mm-hmm. you know, audio, audio 
training of an algorithm to generate someone's voice and vocal patterns. Like, how in the world are we going to have admissible evidence in a courtroom a decade from now when video and audio, quote unquote, evidence can be reproduced and literally created out of thin air to make something seem like it happened when in reality it's totally artificial. Right. There's a lot of things we're going to have to figure out, but I agree. I don't think we're ever going to have that inflection point where the machines become self-aware and try to kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, people are still going to thrive human connection, you know, and human art, for example. I think that yeah. AI generative art is definitely a thing, but when you show people human art versus computer generated art, people generally prefer the human generate, you know, the human created items and feel more of yep. an emotional connection. And I think that that's also true for let's say independent insurance agents, right? I think that people go to an independent insurance agent because they like having a human connection with the real office and not going online and doing things. And so you really have to use that relationship and that connection as much as possible. Use AI to make your job more efficient and things like that, but not replace. And yep. people will know the difference between an email that you wrote to them and one that you had chat GPT, right? Because they know your personality. You know, it, you can't really replicate your personality. And I think that that's something that's always going to be there that people are always going to want. And yeah, it's going to be there. So Actually, it's funny that you talk about how are we going to authenticate video and you know content and all this kind of stuff. And my brother Carl and I were thinking yesterday, There's we're getting onto some weird tangents here, but I think that there's something with NFTs and possibly using you know blockchain yep. to validate content yes. because you have to know that a blog post is you know real or that a video was actually true. And you know putting that stuff in blockchain, I think, is one way to do it. So yeah. we're going to start to see these things come together, like AI and blockchain and all these things. And it's going to make sense to people. Like, yeah. uh, it's just going to take a little bit more time. But why we need to verify authenticity on a blockchain is because there's so many fake things, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely fascinated by blockchain. And I think it is so difficult for the average listener of this podcast and, and most podcasts to distinguish between cryptocurrency and blockchain because what they think of as blockchain they think of crypto mm -hmm. and they think of cryptocurrency and i mean ftx was a great example right after you know three arrows capital went down right after there's been like four different major major scandals in 2022 where i mean crypto has been an absolute bloodbath so far this year but a lot of people don't distinguish between blockchain and cryptocurrency. When you look at blockchain in the context of the insurance industry, I think that may be one of the biggest movers in the next decade. Yep. Uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, you know, having third-party independently authenticated ownership. Yep. You look at things like a, an insurance policy, a claim, mm -hmm. an endorsement, mm -hmm. a declarations page, like all of these things can be on a blockchain. Why isn't there a singular blockchain for the insurance industry that every carrier reports to where it can be independently authenticated in real time by a node of, I mean, maybe it's a AMS, maybe it's a CRM, maybe it's some unique key. There's any number of things that it could be. Yep. But think, I mean, you're a futurist, you're a technologist. I imagine you and I could probably 
uh, share a, a delicious beverage of some sort and talk about this for hours. But you're absolutely right. The blockchain is going to revolutionize the industry and real estate and title companies yep. and several other banking. Yep. There's a lot of industries that are going to see massive disruption in the next decade. It's coming. I think right now it's one of the problems in the insurance industry is that the technology is, I don't want to say old, right? Because it's not necessarily old. It's just not as easy to change. It's like a huge, massive ship, you know, that you have to turn. And there's so many huge, yeah. massive ships. And it's because inherently the insurance industry is here to minimize risk, right? Like yep. these companies stay in business because they are risk adverse. They know how to manage risk. And, you know, um, yep. I think that it's, it it's going to take a lot to get a lot of people on the, on the road, but it just needs a little bit of a critical mass, right? You got to have somebody start, yep. get that critical mass. And then eyes start to open. You might also have in this, industry some big players that are very influential and they have a reason to keep things the way they are you know so yeah. i'm not gonna like you know go too far down that road because i have to play i'll nice, name names yeah it's applied in vertifor and zywave <laughs> and i don't have any problem saying that th those three companies have a lot to gain from same old same old yeah because every month they get paid again by their users and every month that their customers are okay with the same old, same old, they make another slice of pie. And now I'm not saying that people are intentionally thwarting innovation. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be in Austin in two weeks at the NetView conference. It's nothing but Vertifor users and a whole bunch of Vertifor execs and Amy Zupon, CEO, and all, a whole bunch of people are going to be in Austin. Do I think that Vertifor, as an example, is holding back the industry intentionally? Absolutely not. No, I don't. Are, are they as aggressive at innovation as smaller, more agile, more nimble companies like Client Circle? No, certainly not. There's a place for them though. I think that it takes a little bit on the standards level, I think, to make something like that happen where you have to get Vertifor and applied to say, hey, we're in this together and this is going to be good for the industry. So we're going to do it. And yeah. that's, that's a tricky thing because, you know, competition is good, but also you don't want it to be so crazy where it's not good for anybody. And I think yeah. that some, I mean, look at the web, for example. The web is built on standards. If you didn't have standards, computers couldn't talk to each other. There wouldn't be a such thing as a website. There wouldn't be things like that. And yeah. that's what we're talking about here is we need to build better, more connected systems. Why is it that Client Circle has to have, you know, five different integrations with five different management systems where yep. why is it that client circle doesn't have a standard way to connect with insurance carriers that we have to go through different things. All of this data is, is out there. It needs to be standardized and available for an insurance agent to use whatever services they need to, to be able to sell more policies and keep the industry alive. Yep. Now I got up on a box, man. We've got the good stuff right at the end. <laughs> I'm telling you, brother. Now, this is, I'm borrowing from multiple people that you and I both know, uh, but we as agency population really need to demand more from our carriers, one, and our giant oligarch vendors, two. Because we have certain standards like the Accord form, for instance, and I recorded with Frank Sentner, 
a few weeks ago. I haven't released his episode yet, but he's been around literally 46, 47 years. Yeah, I know, Frank. Yeah, he, I bet you do. I, I'm, I'm sure you do with the circles that you run in. And he was talking about how frustrating it can be, exactly what you said, to have a lack of certain standards, even something as simple as claims data mm-hmm. and loss run data. Yep. Why don't we have industry standard format for loss runs? Yep. Because the agents haven't gotten together or done any sort of effort in demanding it. They haven't put the effort into it because they haven't been forced to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we make it happen at this point. The ecosystem is so huge and diverse, you know, advocating on that level, getting enough people rowing the boat in one direction is probably impossible. But heck, it gives guys like you and I some interesting things to complain about in a podcast, right? Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that you have companies like Client Circle doing so many things now, like why we're doing websites and journeys and, you know, all of this stuff, because it's so difficult to connect services together and sometimes it's Mm -hmm. impossible that you know it's better to just do as many things as you can you don't have to worry about all those connections and things and we try and make our services you know connectable uh but Mm -hmm. um, even then it's not enough because you might have somebody who says oh well i want to use this old connect system i'm like well that's Mm -hmm. sorry that went out of style in the 90s we're not doing that so man I'm going to ask you one question and then I'm going to get out of the way and hand you the mic for any last thoughts that you want because we talked about this before we started recording and it's something that I definitely struggle with. Uh, I wanted to get your take on it. You know, as a high performance, high functioning, uh, eager, enthusiastic person, how in the world do you keep track of all the things on your plate? You know, with you being an executive, there's you're free to tinker if you want to. You're a co-founder. You know, you and Carl built this thing from zero. And if you want to do something, well, by George, it's your company. You could do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. How do you keep track of the most important things? How do you manage or block your activity and decide what gets delegated, what gets killed off entirely, and what is allowed to be on your plate as an individual, as the executive? Well, how do you draw those lines and make sure that your personal productivity is as high as possible? I can tell you that I don't always get it right. That's for sure. You know, I, I definitely make mistakes because sometimes I spend a little bit too much time on something that rather than, you know, something else. But we really started this back in the day. We said we got to focus. Like, I remember we spent some period of time in a startup incubator and other startups were on the floor. and. You know, there would be Nerf guns whizzing by and people would be drinking beer in the afternoon and doing ping pong and stuff like that. And we would look at each other and we're like, look, we're not buying swag. We're not buying crap. We're not doing anything until we get our first customers. Like we got to focus on getting revenue. And so we said, let's do everything we can that gets revenue. So that means we got to ship products quickly. And that says, okay, if we're going to ship this product quickly, then what are the core features that need to be in it so that it's actually valuable and what can we push off, right? And so that's what made us who we are is that sort of laser focus on providing value to customers to get revenue because we feel, Carl and I have not taken a dime of investment. We have not taken a single investment dollar and any customer revenue is investment to us our customers are paying for new features. You know, you're not just paying for the service you have, but you're paying to 
that we'll continue to build and add new things on. And so we mm -hmm. look at all of our customers as investors in the company. And that means that we need to constantly provide value. And so everything always comes back to that. You know, but also at the end of the day, I really love what I do. I wake up every morning excited to come in. I mean, I, I'll wake up at 5.30 in the morning ready to get the day going. And I won't go to sleep until, you know, 1 or 2 a.m. thinking about stuff. And because I really love what I do, I've never been happier. And it's not like I'm working that entire time. I spend time with the kids and the family and stuff, which are the most important. That's more important than any work. And I always put yep. them first, but I just love doing it. So it's really easy for me to spend time on, on something because I see that we're providing value to people and I get excited about clicking that button that says deploy and make things available for people, you know? So Love it. Yeah. Man, this has been a, a very engaging, eclectic conversation. I think I probably expected something like this. Uh, you and I seem like similar people in that we're interested in a lot of things and eager to chat about really a bunch of different subjects. As we land the plane, I want to hand you the mic and give you the opportunity to have the last word here. Anything you want to share about getting a demo, where people go, what they need to do to you know, connect with you and your team at Client Circle, really anything. Yeah. So You've got the mic. Thanks, man. I think for a demo, just check us out at clientcircle.com. You know, we'd love to talk with anybody about their company and learn what it is that makes them special that we can help enhance. You know, I really believe that there's greatness in everyone and we want to build tools that help you bring out that greatness. So let's, you know, just have a conversation about how we can help. That's at the end of the day, what's all about. And Thank you very, very much for having me on the show and having a great conversation. I love when I can get into all kinds of different topics and talk about how they relate. I think that's how my brain works. I've got all these like Lego bricks that are floating around in my brain. I like to kind of combine them in different Oof. ways. So this has uh, been a great conversation. Don't take me outside with Lego, man. I could get after some Lego. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, Tori, this has been a really enjoyable, fun conversation. Uh, you are welcome back anytime, man. I'm going to go ahead and wrap the episode out of respect for our viewers' sanity. I shouldn't say viewers, it's listeners. We didn't record video <laughs> this time. But hey, folks, uh, he is Tori Meritz, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Client Circle. You can check them out at clientcircle.com. And that's it for this episode. It's been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go.